So, um, y'all, see, y'all seen the show New Girl? We know New Girl. Okay. There's this great episode uh, in New Girl. I think it's like in season one where, uh, where Nick, one of the main characters, uh, Nick is 30. Uh, Nick has dropped out of law school and he's living the life of a bartender. Uh, he is drinking too much and he is spending time with uh, girls that are way too young for him. Um, and then it, through the course of Nick's life and this time in the apartment, uh, Schmidt, Winston, and Jess all, all get in these seemingly healthy relationships. And so Nick calls up his ex-girlfriend, Caroline. And Caroline is terrible. Uh, we have grown to hate Caroline in the show. Uh, you should hate Caroline. She's awful in the show. Um, but, but Nick calls her up um, because he, he wants to, he wants to, to be with her. And, and Jess, Jess comes to Nick and she says, dude, what, what are you doing? And Nick says, the first time around, we weren't ready to work at it, and now we are. And besides, Caroline is way hotter than the voice in my head who sounds like Tom Waits and tells me I'm a failure and that I look bad in hats. And I don't want to spend my whole life with him. Nick is experiencing that delightful thing that we call shame, right? We all know shame. We may not necessarily be able to define it, but you know what it is. We've, we've all experienced it in one way or another. Shame is the voice in your head that maybe, it, uh, maybe that voice does sound like Tom Waits. And if you don't know who Tom Waits is, that's fine. Uh, he's a singer who has a voice that sounds like he smoked a thousand lifetimes worth of cheap cigarettes and then gargled with razor blades and gravel while getting struck by lightning. That's what his voice sounds like. Um, look him up just for proof, whatever. I don't, maybe it sounds like uh, somebody else or something else telling you that no matter what, you're never going to be good enough. So you need to find your Caroline to at least shut that voice up. We all know that. We all feel that in one way or another. And so the question that Jess is really asking Nick and the question that God comes in the garden to ask Adam and Eve and by extension us is why are you hiding? And we see specifically uh, these questions in this passage. Where are you and who told you that you were naked? And what is this thing that you have done? And so my question tonight to you is the same question that God asked us here. Why are you hiding? We've already said this is, this is about shame. We're talking about that feeling, that experience of shame. And there's a lot, there's a lot with Genesis 3 that you can do because... Obviously, this is, the, this is the passage that explains why everything in the world is the way that it is. Um, because one day Adam and Eve were like, no, God, we know better than you. And they did something different. God made man with the purpose we talked last week of being naked and unashamed in his presence and in one another's. And man disobeyed and all creation was subjected to this thing called sin. You know sin, you know sin is that thing or those things that you know that you're not supposed to do. And you hope that maybe you can offset your sin by doing enough good things. And that maybe you're good enough uh, in your relationship with God that you think that he, he might can actually forgive you for your sin. Maybe not. Maybe you're doing this whole Christianity thing with this long, desperate hope that it might be enough. But you know deep down it's probably not. And sin is both this condition that we're born into... And it's also the things that we do or don't do that are in uh, out of lack of conformity to, to God's law. So that's what, that's what sin is. But what is shame? What is this thing called shame? Ed Welch is a, a Christian counselor. I would highly recommend uh, checking out his books. He's a great writer. He's written a ton on a bunch of different things. 
Um, but Ed, Ed Welch defines shame this way. He says, shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. And you feel exposed and humiliated. Or to put it differently, Welch says, you were disgraced because you acted less than human. You were treated as if you were less than human. Or you were associated with something less than human, and there are witnesses. That's what shame is. And we see that. We see that here. To be human is to bear the image of God, right? We talked about that last week. That the connection with God as the creator is that we bear his image. And that is a reflection of him. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, that reflection was distorted. It threw, it threw everything out of whack. In Welch's terms, they acted less than human, and, and there were witnesses. God saw, the serpent saw, they saw each other. And suddenly, as soon as they did it, they felt exposed and humiliated. So they hid. They actually did more than hide. They tried to cover themselves up with fig leaves, and then they realized that wasn't good enough. So then they hid. And shame, this is really important. Shame is not always a direct response to your sin, but shame is the product of living in a world that has been ruined by sin. Shame is the product of living in a fallen world. And maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe you've heard, you grew up in church and and you know the story of of Genesis 3 and, uh, you know, uh, and maybe you've even seen like, uh, the people who are like trying to connect the dots that like the Apple logo with the bite out of it is like really us rebelling against God because that's what it, that's a thing. I've seen it. Well, it's not true, but anyway, it's funny. Um, <laughs> um, but but the thing the thing about sin and shame is like these are the these are the root of all of our problems. This is why everything is wrong. But here's the thing: the, the Adam and Eve they had known a world where they were naked and unashamed. They had known a world where they, they, like, there was no shame. That they were just kind of going along and there was never this thing called shame. And then all of a sudden they sinned, they fell, and, and then there was this thing called shame. And so you and I are different. Like we, like, we have always lived in a world that has dealt in shame. Like, we, we love shame. Like, our culture, our world, I feel like such an old man, the, the culture, like, um, the places that we go and the things that we do deal heavily in shame. And I want you to think about that for a second because, because there's a moment in all of our lives that we can look at that we knew that now everything is different. And for me, um, for me, it was a Tuesday morning, my junior year of high school, when I was turning into uh, the parking lot of my school and I heard on the radio, because we still listen to the radio, that a plane had flown into one of the buildings of the World Trade Center. And I knew at that moment, and that was without knowing the full context of what was going to happen later that day, I knew at that moment everything was different. There was a night 18 or so months ago, I remember sitting there, I think it was after, maybe after RUF, I went home, I was watching the, uh, I was going to watch the, uh, I think it was the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder um, play a basketball game. And the referees came out and pulled all the players off the court because Rudy Gobert had tested positive for COVID. And they canceled a basketball game, and we knew at that moment everything was different. I say that because shame is the opposite. Because there was a moment where you realized that you just felt this thing called shame. Maybe you were a kid. Maybe it was something stupid that you did. Maybe it was your... (laughs) 
maybe it was your senior year of high school and you went to uh, you went to you went to a, a smallish high school and uh, your rival high school was like a mile away and uh, like everybody that went to your school and your rival school like y'all were all good friends and you knew each other and so like when you played your high school in basketball the other high school in basketball uh, your entire social sphere was there literally every single person that would remember the most embarrassing moment of your life were there and maybe you didn't play a lot of basketball but you were on the team and you got in the game when you were losing by 30 and there were like 15 seconds left and you were already mad and maybe this like freshman accidentally ran into you and you just took the ball and threw it at him as hard as you could <laughs> for no reason. And every single person in your life saw it happen. <laughs> all of your friends at your school, all your friends. I am talking about me, by the way. Like that's, <laughs> I was there. It happened. And, and one of my best friends to this day still reminds me of that moment. Maybe you've experienced shame because of something that you did. That's what we see in Adam and Eve. That's my one crowning basketball achievement. Um, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes, right? We, we understand that. We understand that's how that one works. Maybe it was something you've been associated with. Again, I have another great story about me. Um, in 2009, uh, I went to Ole Miss. Um, that's where I went to college. If you're around me for longer than five seconds, I will have told you that 27 times. But... Um, so, so I went to Ole Miss, and I, I am an obsessive music listener. Like, I'll pick one album or one band and literally listen to that album for, like, a year. Like, it's, it's weird. But it was 2009. Um, we were playing uh, – Ole Miss was playing at South Carolina. Ole Miss was ranked number four in the nation, which never happens. We don't do well with success. Um, and, and I was also in the midst of listening to the Ava Brothers album, Emotionalism. And on that album, there is a song called Shame. And so we go to the football game, and we lose. It's a Thursday night, like national broadcast. I did see Ric Flair, the wrestler. That was cool. Um, but everything else was terrible. So we, we, walk, we walk like 30 minutes from the car, and I get back into my car, and I crank it up. And, and the first thing that I hear is the chorus to the song Shame, which says, Shame. Boatloads of shame. Day after day, more of the same. And so maybe you've experienced shame because of something you were associated with. And maybe it's funny like a football team. Maybe it's something terrible like in your family. But you, you know that. Maybe it was something that was done to you. And I don't want to make jokes about this one because in a room this size, and if statistics and numbers and things are true, like some of you have had things happened to you that were inhumane. They were evil. They were wrong. They were devastating. And no matter what you do in your life, no matter how you try to run from that or make up for it or whatever, you cannot escape the shame of that thing that was done to you. And there's actually a bunch of stories in Scripture about things like that. Like take some time tonight and look up the story of, uh, of Tamar and Judah. That there are unspeakable things that happen to us that cause us to experience shame. And you know this. You feel this. You feel this on the most basic level of, of, of who you are. It permeates everything that you do. And look at what it does for Adam and Eve. It creates nakedness. It creates rejection. It creates contamination. 
So if you look at the original temptation, Satan told Adam and Eve that their eyes were going to be open and they were going to be like God. And the irony there is that God had already told them, you are like me. You look like me. You bear my reflection. And, and instead of the wisdom and, the, and the, the power that they longed for, all they got was shame. All they realized was their own limitation. And because of their sin, uh, the constant struggle of rejection was put into Adam and Eve's relationship. That, that part of the curse of the fall is that they were never going to be on the same page. And everybody else's marriage, not my marriage, my marriage is perfect, but everybody else's. No, like, like that's real. Like we, we experience that brokenness in our most basic relationships. And the ultimate rejection comes when God had to kick them out of the garden. Because the presence of unholiness in the presence of holiness contaminates that holiness. And what we actually see in Scripture is that when the unholy, when the human, when the fallen comes into contact with the divine, it's over for the human. Like, it's like you turn into a pillar of salt. That's it. You're done. And so the question is, have you or do you feel that? Think about that shameful thing that you did. Think about the, the guilt by association If you can go there, think about the thing that was done to you. And and, and you know that feeling, when it comes with it, you just can't help but thinking that everybody knows. It doesn't matter if nobody knows. You are convinced that everybody knows. You can't put a finger on it, but you do feel so exposed all the time. And so you run and you hide in your shame. There's that feeling that if you just knew that if people found out, if you were found out, that you would be rejected and cut off forever. The people that you want to be accepted by, the groups or the places that you want to belong to, you would just get kicked out and that would be it. It would be done. It would be over. Or the feeling that all you're ever going to do is just bring everybody around you down. I can't talk about that because it's going to be a huge bummer to all the people I care about. I can't confront this because... It's just going to be a drag to all my friends or my family or whatever. It's going to be too much of a burden. So I'm just going to keep quiet about this. Again, we've, we've all lived our entire lives in a world that deals in shame. And maybe it's your fault and maybe it's not. But at the end of the day, shame drives you to believe that you are unpresentable. Either because of what you've done what's been done to you or who you are associated with. And so we see the problem here is that we've gone from naked and unashamed in the presence of God and in the presence of our fellow man to naked and ashamed, to exposed, to inadequate, and out of the garden, out of the presence of God. And so the question is, what do we do with all this? Because, like, I think there's a sense that we all know that what I just said is true. Because you're hiding something. You are hiding from something. So what do we do with it? Look at what Adam and Eve did. The first thing they did was they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. And that wasn't enough. So they went and they hid. And then, and then God shows up. And God starts to ask them questions. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? And what is this thing that you've done? And they immediately start blaming each other. 
God's like, Adam, what did you do? And God's like, it was, it was her fault. And actually what he's doing is he's blaming God because it's like, it's her fault and you stuck me with her. So he turns the blame back to God. And then Eve says, well, it, I mean, it wasn't me. It was, the, it was the snake. It was the serpent. It was his fault. And, and, and the serpent was like, yeah, I'm Satan. Of course I did that. <laughs> like, that's, that's kind of my brand. That's what I do. And these are the things that shame does to us. It makes us desperate to cover ourselves. It makes us desperate to hide. And it makes us desperate to deflect no matter what. Even if we find ourselves looking back in the face of God and saying, no, actually, God, this is your fault. That's what shame drives us to do. But these things that we do to cover ourselves, y'all, they do nothing. Everybody, like, you know, deep down in your heart that it's a fraud, that it's nothing. That we're all hiding. We're all hiding from something. So I want you to remember what Adam and Eve did. They sinned. And their relationship with God was cut off, so they covered themselves with fig leaves. And those fig leaves were not enough, so they hid. So what are you hiding behind? What's the underlying shame that you were trying to cover? My, my guess is if you're here on a Monday night like at a Bible study, my guess is you probably don't love your sin. Like whatever your sin is, whatever your thing is, you're not crazy about it. You kind of hate that you do it. And you do it and you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, oh, I'm never doing that again. And then the next day when you look at yourself in the mirror, you're like, I'm definitely never doing it again. And then five minutes later, you're like, well, okay, this time is really like, like, like that's, you don't love your sin. Like, you know, you know that you shouldn't look at porn. You know that you shouldn't sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You know that you shouldn't drink too much or at all if you're underage. You don't love being so busy all the time that you can't find a single second to just kind of like take a deep breath. You don't love feeling like you have to be put together physically, emotionally, or spiritually all the time. And yet, and yet you still do it. You cling to these things that are covering something up. Be that, you know, stuff that we all can kind of look at and say, well, that's definitely bad. Or if it's fake self-righteousness or any self-righteousness, not real self, whatever, all the self-righteousness, it's all bad. But what if the things that you're hiding behind, what if those are the things that you're hiding behind so that you don't have to deal with the true issue of what you're trying to cover up? What if you always feel like you have to be in a relationship because deep down you know that you're not worthy of love? And then if you can just continue to date person after person after person, then you never have to confront that voice in your head that tells you you're not worthy of love. And wherever that feeling came from, and maybe, maybe you know, your, your family was broken or you did something shameful or whatever, but you just convinced yourself that you are not worthy of love. And so, dadgummit, you're going to pursue it in dating all the time. What if the reason that you can't stop looking at porn is because deep down you know that you aren't deserving of true intimacy and so you're just going to go for the next best thing. And it's easier to interact with your phone screen. What if deep down you know that you are never going to be righteous enough, you are never going to be good enough, and so you just say yes to every single thing that this campus offers you. Every campus ministry, every Bible study, every everything that looks spiritual that you can be a part of, let me attach myself to that so that I look good enough. 
And why is it every single time that thing that you think is going to help you deal with your shame just makes you feel worse? That it just makes you feel more shameful. Y'all, it's because those things can't meet your need any more than that fig leaf was going to cover Adam and Eve in their nakedness. And it does bring more shame. So what do we do? What do we do with that? Some people will tell you that you just change your mindset. Just think differently about whatever it is that you're doing and and remove the stigma. Just get rid of the stigma and it's going to be okay. Sometimes we we want to double down and we want to fight. We want to fight harder. Let me just fight against that sin. And yes, please fight your sin. Like I'm not not telling you to not fight your sin. But but we think that we're going to like somehow make up all the ground we lost by just gritting our teeth and fighting harder. Or maybe we just forget it. Maybe we just forget it and move on. That was in the past. It's gone. It's over. We're just going to do something else. None of that's going to work. You can, you can try, but it's not going to work. Uh, Ed Welch again says, shame is not a mirage. It is very, very real. It's not something that we move on from. It's not something that we just get over. Adam and Eve immediately knew they had a problem. And their instinct and your instinct and my instinct to cover the problem is right. They just did it the wrong way. They went to the wrong place. So Genesis 3 actually makes it clear that the only cure for our shame is the very one we're trying to hide our shame from. The one that is the cure for our shame is the one that we are trying to hide our shame from. Genesis 3.15, God promises the serpent. I actually think this is really interesting. That, that Genesis 3.15, they called it like this is the first place that like the gospel shows up in the Bible, which is really cool. Um, and, and I realized this too, like God doesn't promise Adam and Eve that, hey, like one day I'm going to make everything right. No, God promises the serpent <laughs> that one day he's going to make everything right. And that comes with getting his head crushed. So that's cool. Um, God promises the serpent that one day, someday, one of Eve's sons is going to crush the head of the serpent. And God's going to send one. And we would find out later that it's his own son to come and to set everything right and to completely remove the reproach of shame. But there's something else here that you might not have caught. It's in verse 21. It's the last verse that we read. It says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. God covers their shame for them. God clothed them. The one that you were the most afraid of casting you out the one that you have this sense that your relationship with is broken and you can never get back, he is the one that comes to you when you bring your guilt and shame to him and clothes you. And for Adam and Eve, it was simply a picture of what was to come. Or better yet, the one, the one who was to come. Because Jesus saves you through his shame. Think about that. Jesus did not come to remove the stigma of shame. He didn't change the mindset towards shame. He didn't forget about it and move on. Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, took all of our shame upon himself. You wrestle with the shame of being lonely, every single one of Jesus' friends left him. Like Peter and Judas get a bad rap, and they deserve it. But, you know, there were a whole bunch of other guys that weren't there either. His family abandoned him. His peers mocked him. He was stripped naked in front of everybody and beaten and killed. Why? Listen to this from Hebrews 2. 
It says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why, listen to this, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Do you understand what Hebrews is saying? Is that if you are in Christ, if you have been clothed in his righteousness, Jesus is not ashamed of you. Jesus is actually proud of you. This was kind of a cool thing. Um, about, about, I don't know, it was like Friday night maybe. Um, one of my, uh, one of my um, a guy that I really look up to, I sort of consider a mentor, um, we were just talking about something and, and he, he just texted me. He said, he said I'm, I'm, really, I'm really proud of you. And like that feeling of somebody looking at you and saying, I see the things you're doing and I'm proud of you. That's amazing. And what Hebrews 2 is telling us is that Jesus looks at you and says, I am proud to call you my brother. I am proud to call you my sister. That's what we have in Christ, that our shame turns into his pride and his joy. And going back to that New Girl episode, it's a picture of God seeking you in your shame. At the end of the episode, Jess busts in and tells Nick, Nick, you're wrong. All the stuff you said about Caroline being timing and it just making sense, no, because if you really love somebody, it's simple. You deserve something amazing and you deserve love. I know that you don't want to be alone, but I'm going to be there and I'll tell that Tom Waits voice in your head to shut up. We don't have to settle, Nick. You're the best. And this is the thing, is that Jesus does more than simply tell your inner voice to shut up. Jesus killed your inner voice. Jesus took all of your shame on himself, not because you deserve it, not because you deserve God's love, not because you deserve Jesus' death on the cross for you, but because you can't do anything about it. And he takes every bit of his righteousness, his union with God, his glory, his beauty, his everything else, and he clothes you with it. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see some scared kid hiding in the bush thinking you've clothed yourself in fig leaves. He sees his son and his daughter clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And it's kind of funny because we all have this sense of like, we don't actually deserve that. And one of the things that's, um, one of the things that's really funny um, that, that Judson, my three-year-old does, is like, he's at the point now where he thinks it's really fun to, uh, to wear my hats. I have a huge head. Like I went to a hat store one time and I was like, hey, do you have this size hat? And they laughed at me and said, nobody carries that size hats in stores. You have to order that on the internet. And that was kind of before internet shopping was a thing. Like, but it's like, we think about that and it's like awkward and it doesn't fit right and it looks funny. But, but actually what Jesus has done for us is he has fit us perfectly with his righteousness. And this is the story of the entire Bible. In a sense, this is what we're going to be getting at all semester long as we look at these questions that we were cut off from relationship with God by our sin. And our shame is us running from him. But Jesus came to restore that relationship through his death and his resurrection. And then he clothes us in his righteousness. He is not ashamed to call you his brother. 
He is not ashamed to call you his sister. Whatever that voice is that you're hoping will just shut up is not louder than the voice of God. Is not louder than the voice of the one who is sitting on the throne of heaven and earth. And when that, that, the one sitting on that throne is your proud big brother, you can come out of hiding. You can bring your shame and your fear to him because he will not hurt a bruised reed. Y'all, that's really good news. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Um, thank you for your word. God, thank you that you have sought us and you have clothed us in your righteousness. You have called us yours. Lord, and I, I pray for those of us tonight who maybe haven't yet come to know this, haven't yet come to believe this, God, that, that tonight would be the night that we can come out of hiding, that we can be honest with you about who we are and what we're afraid of. Lord, and that we would be clothed in your righteousness for the first time. God, and for those of us who do believe, who are just struggling with some sin that won't go away or um, just that feeling of inadequacy, Lord, would you meet us in that? Would you again show us your beauty and show us your glory as you clothe us in your righteousness? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.